How then can we escape this punishment? That's the question that we're looking at. It's the question of Scripture. It's also given to us in the Catechism to teach us to ask this question also for ourselves. And if you turn to Lord's Day 6, we continue the second part of this series to answer the question with God's help, how then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? If you turn in the back of your hymnals to page 874, page 874, and we've learned that the only way to escape this punishment is if we have a mediator who is both true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures, one who is also true God. So Lord's Day 6, why must the mediator be a true and righteous man? Why must he be human? Because God's justice requires that human nature which has sinned must pay for its sin. But a sinner could never pay for others. Why must he also be true God, divine? So that by the power of his divinity, he might bear in his humanity the weight of God's wrath and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. Then who is this mediator? True God and at the same time a true and righteous man. Is there somebody that meets these qualifications? Yes, our Lord Jesus Christ who was given to us for our complete deliverance and righteousness. Well, how do you know this? How do you come to know this? The Holy Gospel tells me. God himself began to reveal the Holy Gospel already in paradise. Later, he proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets and foreshadowed it by the sacraments or sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, he fulfilled it through his own beloved son, And then let's return to Isaiah 59, where we were last time for the first part of this series. How then can we escape Isaiah 59? And let's read the last portion, brothers and sisters, of Isaiah 59, found on page 735. Fifty-nine, verse fourteen, page seven thirty-five. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. You try to be holy, people are going to. Try to destroy you. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. 
According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I've put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. And a redeemer will come to Zion. This is God's word. May he bless us and build us by it, brothers and sisters. People of God, we also must learn to ask the question, how then can we escape this punishment? Remember, that's the question those who murdered Jesus asked on the day of Pentecost. Brothers, what shall we do? When they were convicted of their sin and how much they were in trouble with God and under his wrath. And it's what Saul of Tarsus asked when the Lord stopped him on the way to Damascus. Lord, what do you want me to do? And what the Philippian jailer asked when he stood face to face with the judgment of God at the prison and the earthquake. Brothers, what must I do to be saved? How shall we escape this punishment? All the world laughs at sin and judgment and says it's not real. It pretends that it's not there, but that's pretend. Deep down, everybody knows. We face a creator God, a holy God, and we'll have to give an account to him someday. And that we're not good, we're rebels. We're haters of God and neighbor. And we're sinful from the time of conception. And there's nothing good that lives in us by nature, but only all the output is evil. And God's really angry with us. And he demands sin or death as the wages of sin, eternal punishment of body and soul. We need to make amends with God. We need to get right with God. How then can we escape this punishment? And the next part of the question, return to God's favor. That's question 12. That's the other part that really matters. How can we escape punishment from God? And how can we return to God's favor? You see, someone who escaped punishment. But they're not so concerned about being right with God and having his favor and walking with him. But the believer is concerned about both. And the answer is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will escape. You will be saved, you and your household. So we want to see this afternoon. How can we escape God's solution to man's problem? 
And secondly, God's promise. And thirdly, God's gift. God's solution. We saw from Isaiah 59 a couple of weeks ago that all across the history of the human race and all across the globe and all across the nations and all across the classes of men and women and children, nobody has been found good enough and great enough to save the human race, to save the world. Oh, the problem is here well enough, but the solution is not. Remember that? Isaiah 59, verse 16. God looked. He looked. And he saw that there was no one to intervene. And he wondered, or he was appalled that there was no one to intercede. No one here on earth that could fix the problem of the human race, who could save the world. What did God do? What did he say? Too bad for you. You got yourselves into this mess. You deserve judgment. I'm stepping aside and I'm destroying the world. And I'm not saving Noah and his household this time. It's over. If God had decided that, he would have been perfectly just. And he would have gotten all the glory. And there would have been nothing wrong with it. But he didn't. In mercy, he looked upon the world and said, I can't see this happen. To my world. To my people. So since there's no one on earth who can save mankind... Since the solution cannot be found here, I am coming down myself. Remember that again, verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and the arm of the Lord in Isaiah is the Messiah, Jesus. And if you're wondering if that's the Messiah, the next person, the verse says, He put on righteousness. It's a person. He put on the helmet of salvation. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. There's the solution. It can't be found in man. It can't be found in us. There's a way of escape, brothers and sisters, from sin. And from the curse that covers the earth. There's a way to return to God. But that way has to come down from God, from heaven. Has to come from heaven. And it has to go down to earth. It can't just stay in heaven and work remotely from a distance. So Isaiah 59 says... I'm coming down. The Redeemer's coming to Zion. Has to come from heaven, but has to land on our planet in our race. Why? Well, we need a Redeemer. A man who is God. 
first of all. That's God's solution. We need a redeemer, a man who is God, divinely powerful, able to carry all our guilt and our infinite and eternal punishment. No angel can do that. Even a sinless angel is just a creature and cannot bear that much weight of the eternal wrath of God for our sin. No mere creature can do this. Only God can bear that much weight, can pay the wages of sin. Psalm 49 says that truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. If a man pays your ransom, maybe it can last a little while, but it can't go on forever so that you don't end up in the pit. That's what Psalm 49 is saying. If you go on in Psalm 49, it says, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, from hell. He will receive me. So no man can pay the ransom, says Psalm 49. So God will. God can do what man cannot do. Remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? How impossible is it for a sinner to save himself, a human being to save himself? Well, to give you an idea, remember? It's easier for you to take a two-humped camel, full-grown one, stuff it through an eye of a sewing needle than for you to save yourself. So the answer must come from God, must be divine. The Redeemer we need is a man who is God but this God, secondly, must also be man as part of the solution. He must come down to us as a man, as one of us. Again, Isaiah 59. He must put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrap himself in zeal as a cloak. He must come down as a soldier and wage war on our sin and the devil and punishment. We need a divine warrior who's one of us. And that's what Hebrews 2 says. Because God came down to save people, not angels. He had to become one of the people he came to save. Listen, Hebrews 2. Surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the children of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every way so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Again, the wages of sin is death, and to escape death, that wage must be paid to God in full by the one who sinned. Man sinned. Man's got to pay for it. But we cannot pay for our own. So if it's going to be paid for God has to become one of us and pay for it in our place and die an eternally infinite death 
for man's infinite guilt against God. That's God's solution. And praise God, secondly, that solution became his promise as soon as man fell into sin. It's exactly what God did in his great love for the world he made. He provided the way of escape, the perfect way he needed. And as soon as sin began, God promised that way of escape already in the Garden of Eden. Remember when he said to Adam and Eve, he said to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Oh, he, her seed is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. The woman one day is going to have a child. Going to be true human being, descendant of Adam and Eve. But this child is going to be far greater than Adam and Eve and have the power to crush the evil one, destroy sin and the curse. As soon as Adam and Eve fell, God the judge came to accuse them and condemn them. He came with the law. But a moment later, he added the gospel to drive them to salvation in Christ. He promised them the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is that this was not like a new thought for God. Already before the world was created, did you know that? And there was only the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God knew and ordained that the human race would plunge itself into sin and depravity and eternal punishment. And He made an arrangement with the Son that the Son would come down in the human flesh and take our place and die for us in our punishment. And the Father and the Son made an arrangement with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would breathe power into that plan. So it was a ready-to-go plan. What love? God is eternal love. That this way of escape was not like a flash-in-the-pan idea, but something that belongs to the heart and the eternal mind of God. And so it became a promise as soon as Adam and Eve fell that God would provide a way of escape to a lost and condemned human race. And that promise found in Genesis 3 doesn't stop. Glory be to God. God makes sure that it keeps going and growing in spite of the unfaithfulness of men. As we've been seeing through Ruth or Judges, Ruth, then 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, if that promise was left to us to keep it going and growing, nothing would have come of it. But it's in God's heart, it's in God's mind, it's in God's word, and it cannot fail. It keeps going and growing for 4,000 years until finally 
Jesus came, the Redeemer came to Zion. He was promised in words and signs and symbols and ceremonies and types. For example, he was promised to Abraham. Through your offspring, your seed. So Abraham's going to have a child somewhere along the line. All the families of the earth will be blessed. A little baby from Abraham going to bless the whole world. You see already, again, yes, he's truly human, but he's got to be far greater. And then he's pictured again on Mount Moriah, right? Where Abraham has offered up his only son, the son whom he loves, Isaac, on the altar. And he's about ready to slaughter him. And the angel of the Lord says, stop. And he unties the cords. Isaac comes off and there's a ram caught in a thicket. And the ram is slaughtered instead of Isaac. And that mountain is called Jehovah-Jireh. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Picture of the Lamb of God who takes our place. We should be on the altar. And we're let off. The Redeemer will come to Zion. Well, we see that promise grow again. When God takes Israel out of Egypt and under Moses' leadership, takes them to Mount Sinai, and there he delivers his law, the Ten Commandments. And that law is a perfect picture of Jesus Christ and his obedience for us. He fulfilled that perfectly to cover all our disobedience. But in that law also there are sacrifices of bulls and goats and all kinds of animals. And those are pictures and smells of the true sacrifice is going to come to pay for our sins, that Passover lamb that sets us free. The promise of the way of escape all through the Old Testament. Now I know that often people in the Old Covenant would tempt, be tempted to put their trust in the blood of bulls and goats to save them. If we just do the sacrifice, God will forgive us. No, 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 they were constantly reminded the blood of bulls and goats can't do it. This is a picture of the Messiah. The suffering servant who's going to come and offer his blood, the blood of the covenant for you. Trust in him. And when they looked ahead to him and trusted in him, God would reach backward with promissory forgiveness and actually take away their sins even before Jesus' blood was shed for sin. It's amazing grace. The old covenant saints were truly forgiven by looking ahead to the blood of Christ. And that promise increases again with David. David, God says in his covenant with David, you're not the king who's going to save my people. And sadly, David made it painfully obvious that he wouldn't be the one. But I make a covenant with you to establish your throne and kingdom forever by giving you a son who will reign forever. There again, you see this promise that this king who's a son of David, but at the same time, he's far greater. 
He's going to reign forever. And if he dies, he's going to rise again. So, so this is a true man. But he, he's also far greater. He's the God-man. The way of escape is coming closer and closer. And Jesus would later challenge his opponents. Um, who's the Messiah going to be? The son of David or David's Lord? Well, the answer was both. But that's what they couldn't recognize about the Lord Jesus Christ. David's son, true man. David's Lord, true God, or Isaiah 11. He's a shoot. He's a shoot from the branch of Jesse, from the stump. But at the same time, it says later, he's the root of the tree. The shoot, a child. The root, the one who brings the house of David into, into existence. And Isaiah 59 verse 20 summarizes that promise of God that covers thousands of years. A redeemer will come to Zion. That word is goel. Now that doesn't matter. You don't have to remember goel. That's the word used for Boaz. He is Naomi's goel. He's going to ransom her land that she has lost. He's going to redeem her land and give it back to her. And that's the land, of course, remember, of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, where the son is going to be born, Jesus Christ. But Jesus is our goel. We've lost our portion in the Garden of Eden, in paradise. We've been cut off because of our sin. No more land, no more home with God. But the Redeemer's coming to Zion to ransom our plot of land, our place in the paradise of God, in the Garden of Eden, to rescue us from hell, but also to bring us back Back home to God. Beautiful picture. So we can enjoy a place with God in the glorious kingdom of God forever. We see thirdly, the solution becomes God's promise, becomes God's gift, becomes a reality. That's the good news, brothers and sisters. Our God who has planned this way of escape from eternity, promised it in his covenant, keeps his word. And the gift has arrived. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He fulfilled this promise in his own dear son. Question 18 and answer 18 uses that word gift. Listen, who is this mediator? True God and at the same time, true and righteous man. Is there such a person that we've been talking about? Or is this just a theoretical thing? No, there is our Lord Jesus Christ then who was given. 
given to us for complete deliverance and righteousness. Again, you hear John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. Given. God's gift. A way of escape. Again, this is incomprehensible. This is unspeakable love. When we couldn't come up with a solution for making amends with God, we had offended him so greatly, we're under his wrath, deserving hell. Even then, God loved us so much, he said, I'll come up with the solution, and he did. And the solution was his only son, eternal son, his precious son, his dearly loved son, And he put him on the chopping block. Put him on the altar, on the cross. Tore him to pieces. Put him through hell. Put all the punishment on him, all our sin on him. So we could be untied and set free. What wonderful news. Wonderful news that through him we escape punishment and we return to God's favor. Jesus, on the one hand, slams the door to hell on the cross for all his people, all who believe in him, all you who believe in him. You may know that when he bore your sins in his body on the tree, bore your judgment, Boy, your punishment. He was shutting the door for you. Been there, done that for you. At the same time, he said, it is finished. At the same time, the curtain of the temple tears into two. And Jesus' death says, the way is open for you now to go to God, to return to his favor and enjoy life as his child. Forever. How, how do you, how do you ever thank God enough for that? How do you really ever fully express this glory of God's love and grace? Brothers and sisters, God has opened one door back to him and only one. There is one escape out of hell, one way back to God, one solution, Jesus. Jesus said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, one of the truths for you to consider. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible says there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to man whereby we must be saved. No other name given. Every other religion is a false escape route. Every other Messiah 
can only bring you to a dead end. There's only one name given, the name of Jesus taught us in the scripture. Again, 1 Timothy 2, there's only, or there's one God and only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One way, one door, and only one. And we must reject the pluralism and polytheism of our age which sometimes comes under the title, you've seen the bumper sticker, coexist. All religions are alike. They're all created equal. And the Christian faith is just one version of God. And Jesus is just one of many deliverers or teachers to help you find your way to God. No. While the Christian faith calls us to respect and love people from all religions. Let's not forget that. While the Christian faith calls us to respect and love people from all religions, we believe and confess. And the Bible teaches that only the Christian faith is true and Jesus is the only way to God, the Jesus of the Bible. That's not bigotry. We're made to feel shame if we would hold such a thing in our culture. You're going to face that, brothers and sisters. You already have. It's not bigotry. It's plain honesty. God has given one way. So why would we tell people or suggest to them that there are many when that would destroy their opportunity of salvation? That would hide from them the only way of escape. The Redeemer has come to Zion. We don't want to denigrate him into one of many, but exalt him as the true way of salvation. And not just for Israel, but for all nations, for all sinners. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives, rest assured, this one, there's only one way, but this way is real and sure. This one will rescue you from judgment and will bring you into God's favor without a doubt. Without a doubt. Join to him. You can live with joy. Right now, my sins are gone. My debt is paid. I'm a child of God. You can live with joy and you can die in peace. I'm going home to God. How then can we escape and return to God's favor? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. It's the only way it is the sure way. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, again we stand amazed at your love when you would have done so righteously just to throw us all away because of we, uh, how we hated you and despised you and blasphemed you. Instead, in mercy, you came to us yourself and stood in our place so we could be rescued and brought back. 
to God and have our portion in the land of life restored to us, ransomed by Jesus. This is awesome news. Help us to bask in it, to enjoy it, to use it every day for our lives. And again, to share this with those who do not know you. For Lord Jesus Christ, you are a ransom for all the peoples of the world. The ransom, the only one. Amen.